This episode of Pondering Nerdcast was brought to you by GamingRebellion.com. Join the community today at GamingRebellion.com, where it's more than just games. Hi, Ponderers. This is Mickey again, your, your nerd, your nerd interviewer. Uh, extraordinaire. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Pondering Nerdcast. I have another amazing interview for you. This is our um, our amazing subject, Tana Ford. Hey guys, she- what's up? Hi. Um, <laughs> first off, I want to say thank you so much for spending some time with us. You are such an intriguing person. I found out about you um, years ago off and on um just because i was keeping an eye on like queer illustrators and stuff like that um working in in like the big wig um comic book companies marvel dc stuff like that um but i'm not an avid comic book reader myself so when i attended FlameCon this year um and i saw your name i was like wait, you sound familiar. And then um, I saw your credentials and stuff and I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> right? And then um, unfortunately, you weren't at your table at the time. But, it was um, busy, man. A flame con is awesome. Yeah, if any of you guys yeah, in in podcast land get a chance, go to FlameCon. I wasn't at my table because I was busy either being on panels or attending panels. I've never right. been to a show that had so many like there were just everything uh, that they had set up I wanted to go to. Designing X-Men, conversations about bisexuality, about gender expression, about just like geeking out about comics in general. Like it was really, it was a, it was a slugfest for me. All the hits, all the hits. That's right, that's right. And nerd culture in itself is a subculture. So mm-hmm. people who identify as nerds they know what it's like to be in mainstream society and having these niche interests um, and kind of being a feeling like separate, you know? So to add on to that um, different um, identities uh, in in marginalized communities, it makes it that much more removed for us in mainstream society. So to have cons like this is really important and to see artists like you is really important as well because we love great storylines. We love amazing, awesome illustrations. We we love great work, period, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so let me start off with asking what, um, I mean, you already talked about your experience at FlameCon, um, but uh, what was your goal uh, in tabling at FlameCon and, and doing the panels that you did? Mm, I mean, it was twofold for me. One, uh, okay. it it's a wonderful convention, and it's my it hits my target audience. Uh, I am Marvel's Artists on Silk, uh, which recently wrapped up, and uh, we did twenty six issues uh, of that solo female title, and I did, I think, I don't know, sixteen of them. I did I did a a, a fair number of those I don't think that number is right but it doesn't matter uh, but but apart from my mainstream work for Marvel I also do a lesbian comic book series uh, of graphic novels called Duck uh, mm-hmm. it's available digitally on Northwest Press which is I don't know if you guys know about Northwest Press they're uh, a queer comic book publisher 
and it's run um, by, I want to say West Coast Queers. Um, a great guy named Zan runs the whole thing. And anyway, all of my work that I do independently is available there. Uh, and so you can pick up my work there. Uh, I think there's a discount code. If you, I think if you use Tana10 or something like that, email me uh, or tweet me and I'll find the actual code after this and, and post it. Uh, but you what can find all my email? work there. Oh, yeah. Uh, what my is your email and yeah. your uh, Twitter uh, handle? Twitter me at, at Tana Ford on the Twitters. That's uh, where I'm most active, I think, uh, on the social medias. I also have a, a Facebook page that I update irregularly at Tana Ford Designs on the Facebook. So those would be the two best places to get in touch with me. Uh, but you can check out my, my independent work there. Uh, and so FlameCon hits that, that it, it gives me my lesbian audience. It gives me my, you know, queer comics, loving comic fan audience. You know, I end up having uh, more time as a fan at that show than at any other major show. Uh, so I really feel like I am among my people. So that's, that's the biggest draw for me. Very cool. Very cool. And you did mention an email. What is your email? Yep. Uh, Tana.Ford at Gmail. It's very simple. Wonderful. I try to keep all my stuff super streamlined. Definitely. Definitely. Um, okay. Well, so that was your goal for FlameCon. Um, mm -hmm. What is your goal for cons in general? Um, what do you mean? You attend quite a few all, all over the world too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what is, I think, uh, I don't know. It just took sell art, meet fans, um, see new places in the world. Um, I've tabled, uh, I think there are some really great international shows. There are some really great domestic shows. Places like uh, Boston are home for me. Uh, I went to college in Boston. My family is from the Northeast. And so uh, sometimes shows are a bit of a homecoming. Uh, and once you've been doing this enough times, you meet uh, the same sort of people at different shows. I was at Chicago this year and I got to meet the Silk Squad, uh, hashtag Silk Squad. And it's this, um, I think they wouldn't mind if I called them rabid group of fans uh, that <laughs> love the character Cindy Moon and, uh, and asked me sort of last minute if I would come out to this show and we were able to make it happen. And uh, the writer, Robbie Thompson, was also there. We took them all out for lunch. Uh, it was a really, really great thing. So it gives me a chance to to interact with people on a human to human level, you know, as a as a creator of content and as people who consume and love that content. I think there can be a really valuable back and forth. So that's the major thing that I take away from shows. Uh, they can be, you know, a lot of people come home sick. They can be exhausting and draining, but I tend to have a really, really fantastic time. Wonderful, wonderful. And yeah. you're also a very busy person. <laughs> in general uh so i'm just gonna list just <laughs> some of the things that you do in sure. your life <laughs> you are uh first of all you're a great personality um you're also an award-winning writer and illustrator yes you're a graphic artist you're an airbrusher yes you are also a crocker you're a potter you're a ceramicist you're yeah. a muralist yes also true <laughs> And I think you're, I, yeah. yeah, go ahead. 
So I, I, I don't know. I think I'm artist, right? Like I feel like I check off a lot of boxes. One of my very dear friends is Sean Murphy and uh, he's uh, in the comic books world. Uh, he has done a number of projects and he's fantastic, but he is very sort of narrow in his focus and I tease him about it sometimes. And uh, he is now working on a Batman project. And so he was in his basement building um, a model Batman uh, vehicle. You know, sometimes artists will use models. Like um, on my desk right next to me, I have a Jeep model, like a little, I don't know if you can hear the wheels. It's like a little toy. Uh, yeah, I hear it. Yeah. And so like I can take pictures of it at different angles or I could just like look at it and eyeball it. You know, we use models. Well, if you have something like that you're designing, Amy Reader made um for Rocket Girl, she used like Play-Doh or clay or something, and she made this very lumpy looking jet, uh, like a jet ski, but for the sky that she used. And like, and so she would tweet out pictures of this. So anyway, Sean was making his Batmobile and he was having a lot of fun doing it, but it really wasn't something that was sort of comfortable for him. And I don't think he ever finished it um, because he's just a, an artist, right? Like he just pretty much draws, like that's what he does. That's his whole thing. And I find that um, my creative impulses sort of pull me in more directions than one. You know, I have to be sculpting. I have to be painting. I, I like working traditionally. I like learning new techniques digitally. Um, I like making sculpture. Uh, and so it's just sort of, I, it's this compulsion in me. I just need to create a lot of different things and find new ways of creating things. Mm, yeah. Letting your compulsion work for you. Yes, exactly. And I think I find it beneficial. Um, while I think this sort of thing can be distracting if unchecked, I tend to be a, a very focused kind of artist. I, I like finishing things and I'm not a perfectionist. So I let my mistakes kind of lead me or if I'm not getting something right, I can put it down a drawing, a page, a, you know, a project, anything and come back to it the next day, not in a week or something, but like I can come at it after I've, you know, had some food, had some rest uh, and look at it with fresh eyes, like come back to it and reevaluate where I am. Um, but I find that this is also a thing that I need to do with different kinds of art. You know, I want to make, I made these little sculptures. I have a pair of parakeets um, and I sculpted little bird branches for them. So I went to like the hardware store and I got a bolt and a wing nut and a big, and so over this very long metal bolt, bolt I used um, an epoxy. I can send you pictures if you want to like post a picture of this uh, for my okay. birds to sit on. And I sculpted it into like a little wooden perch and uh and that was I'm like i'm sorry to interrupt but sure. you also have great pictures on your uh ton of four designs page facebook Sweet. page oh thank mm -hmm. you so much yeah i tried to organize it into like here's you know custom painting helmets and vehicles here's sculpture here's uh you know comic book work um so thanks oh that's so glad to, i'm so glad to hear that yeah definitely yeah um i wanted to know did you go to art school and uh if you didn't uh, how in the world did you teach yourself these many crafts? Uh, I think trial and error is always the best thing. I did study art at a liberal arts school. I was a an art and philosophy major at Simmons College in Boston. and um, But most of what I learned and have learned about um, 
art has happened outside of a classroom. Um, I had some wonderful teachers in the art program at my lovely little college. Like I, I really did. Uh, and they were thoughtful and intelligent people uh, that understood art and could teach me things about the mechanics of making art, perspective, color theory, um, studio art, you know, all sorts of things like that. They, they got me, um, I was able to experiment in like labs, um, a, a screen printing lab or use emulsions and things that I didn't otherwise have access to. But most of it I learned on my own. Um, Okay, so. In, including material science or material studies? Yeah, so um, after I graduated from college, for um, certain reasons, I moved back home. And I got a job at a mechanics garage and started running a small mechanics business, right? Like, it's just something that happened. It's too long of a story, really, to get into. But I was there for years. And while I was there, I had access to this warehouse, to this like big, you know, mechanics garage with, you know, compressed air. And I bought a bunch of uh, airbrushing equipment and there was a bunch of like junk cars around and crap I could practice on. And so during the day, while I would be answering phones and like doing customer relations stuff, I was also teaching myself how to airbrush because I had access to this place and because I had an awesome like working situation. Uh, that allowed me to do that sort of thing. And so I had access to a place where I could experiment and where I could sort of make a lot of these kinds of the mistakes that come with learning a new thing. Um, and so that's how I got into airbrushing. Uh, I don't think I would have been able to do it otherwise because you just need things. You need, you know, access to compressed air, access to a place where you can make a big mess, access to uh, materials you can paint on, um, things like that. Right. Welding, welding equipment. Welding, yeah. Uh, I never got too no. much into welding. I had a welding teacher. Uh, I took classes when I first moved to Florida because I needed, I wanted to get into sort of the art scene or I wanted to like do something different, uh, which is where I started uh, sculpting with clay as an adult and, um, and also where I started welding. But then the guy that was teaching me welding moved away. So not proficient, but that's going to be one thing I will add to my repertoire eventually. Gotcha. Do you have any schools um, where you don't have to have college credit per se to take welding classes? Like in New York, we have the Art Students League. Yeah, which is there's an amazing school. The place Do where you have I anything like that in Florida. Where yeah, I, I live in kind of an artsy fartsy place, and so there is a an art school near me called Dreyfus that is spelled Dreyfus, which is um, I think pretentious and ridiculous, but I get why they do it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, they have a school, and I think that adults can take classes there. And right down the street from that campus uh, is where I took what is the place called? Um, but there's like an an art center, and they do. Uh, summer art programs for kids that are, you know, out of regular school. They do continuing education stuff for adults um, and you sign up. It's just, uh, it was, it, it's pretty expensive to do. Uh, and so I did a semester or two or like a class or two there and, um, and I haven't been back, but it was, but there is stuff around here for, that I can get into. So right also on. my, yeah, also my workload, my like, making comics as my job workload is very busy right now and so i don't I'm quite sure. have the extra time 
Do you do everything yourself or do you outsource any of your illustration work? Uh, the only thing that gets outsourced is color. Um, but okay. when I work for big companies like Marvel or IDW or whoever it is, um, they have colorists that they pair me with. Oftentimes they'll ask if there's somebody I want to work with. I, or maybe I guess half and half. They'll ask me if there's somebody I want to work with or they'll just assign a colorist that they think fits the project. So, But I do pencils to inks. So they're getting you know high quality black and white line art from me. And then the letterer and the colorist are going to come in after and finish up the story. Do you have any advice for art school attendees or... <laughs> Um, aspiring illustrators in general. Yeah. To, mm. um... I say oh, this. Yes, go on. I say this to anybody that comes by my table. Just finish a thing, right? If you want to make something, if you want to work in comics, if you want to, you know, be a sculptor, do it. Be it. Right. Like we live in this marvelous age of the internet, where if you want to make a thing, you can find an audience. Right. Like we're not you and I are talking from Florida to you guys are in what Brooklyn. Yes. And so, you know, like we're we are traveling across time and space here, friends, you know, so like you can just make a thing, finish it. You want to write a story, write the best story that you can find an artist. If you can't find an artist for your project, look up projects that have um, more of like a naive art style. Uh, There's what is it? Uh, Kyle XKC, no, I'm saying that wrong, or Toothpaste for Dinner is a really great comic, or uh, Drinking at the Movies, if you guys look up (laughs) Drinking at the Movies, right? Like, there's a very sort of almost stick figure approach to telling these stories, but that doesn't mean they can't be profound and meaningful or whimsical and crazy or whatever. Like, if you want to do something, do it, right? Uh, Here, I'll give you an example. I had decided that I was going to build a, a fire pit in, behind my mom's house. But in order to build a fire pit, we needed some place to sit. So there was gonna, we were going to need a bench. So I was like, oh, I'll sculpt a bench, right? Like I'll make an interesting looking bench. And this project morphed into a giant three-dimensional swimming dragon that goes through the earth. So it looks like there's a tail sticking up out of the earth. There's a middle section that's the bench that fits two human people on it. Uh, And then there's this head sort of coming up out of the ground. Uh, And I sculpted all of this with the material. I didn't know anything about large form sculpture. I, I looked into it a little. I like I said, I worked in a mechanics garage. We had a bunch of exhaust tubing uh, that w- is, it came with a piece of equipment we had. It wasn't good enough to use on actual cars. It was, it rusts too easily. It's not very high quality. And so I used a pipe bender and I bent it into forms and um, my mechanic welded them into place and I wrapped them in wire and I figured out how to sculpt them out of cement, right? And then I come down to Florida. So I make this this big dragon sculpture and I paint it and it's beautiful and we install it in my backyard and it's great. Again, check out my website if you want to see pictures. Uh, Oh yes. And then uh, I get down to Florida and I start taking a sculpture class. Right. And so I go up to my sculpture teacher and I said, I made a sculpture and now I want to learn more about the mechanics of sculpting. And he was like, okay. And so I show him some pictures and he's like, Oh, this is very detailed. What did you use? And I said, I used cement. And he was like, no, you didn't. And I was like, oh, no, but I did. And he was like, yeah, but you can't, you can't sculpt in detail with cement. It doesn't hold up. Like, you can't, 
this isn't, are you sure you made this out of cement? I said, yes, this is, you know, or I gave him the material list that I used. And he was like, wow, if you had come to me and said, this is what I want to do, I would have told you, you can't. Right? Like he would have, this is a guy that sculpts for a living. And he would have been like, nope. If I had asked somebody for permission to do this thing that I was able to successfully figure out how to do and then make on my own, they would have said, no, you can't do it. No one's done it. Like you can't, this isn't something that you do. And so by, because I just like jumped in and did it and figured it out as I went, I ended up with the thing. So just make a thing. That's that story. is terrific. And that's why I mentioned material science and material studies, because there are limitations to different materials and yep. it's, it's important to know, but experimentation is just as important. And yeah. either way, just doing it. Yeah. Nike, Nike had something with that saying. <laughs> yes, that catchphrase, just do it. It's and- very true. Yeah. And ask people, you know, uh, we did a lot of work on uh, in the area where my mechanics garage was, there were a lot of laborers. And so we had a lot of construction workers and like people that worked with their hands all day, painters. And so I was able to ask these people when they brought their cars in, you know, for service, how, you know, do you, do you know of any kind of a paint that seals masonry? Is there like a masonry sealer? I need this thing to be waterproof when I'm done with it. And I'm afraid that if I use a traditional paint, it's going to breathe too much and water will get in and crack the concrete. And so I was able to talk to people who were authorities in their field um, about, you know, and sort of pick their brains for information. If you don't have access, I, I understand that my situation is completely original, but if you don't have access, you do have access to the internet, right? That's probably how you're listening to us. So you can find people online. You can ask expert expert people online uh, in their fields what they think and what they use, and you can go to the go to the Google. So yeah, make a thing. Yeah, I tell everyone. <laughs> make a thing. Great. Make a thing. Okay. Uh, well, I'm gonna go into your your Marvel work. Um, and talk to you about silk. Can you tell us how that came to be? Your your work with um, in in the the silk series. Yeah, I um I had done uh some work for Marvel uh, in the past. I had done an issue of New Warriors and a couple of short stories, uh, and I got a call just out of the blue, or an email, um, asking me if I wanted to do a couple of issues of silk. And I said, yes, of course, I want to do a couple issues of Silk. And so um, they sent me reference material and um, I got I got to work right away. And uh, I think they liked me. I think the reason that Marvel knew about me and it comes back to make a thing. um, I had done four independent books. I've done a book called That Time I Turned 30 in Greece. I had done a book about the history of the Boston Marathon, um, which I love very much. I had done two books in my Duck series called Duck and Duck Second Chances. And so I think I proved that I can complete a thing, um, that I'm good at, you know, seeing something through. And I also had a body of work behind me so they could say, oh, yes, this is going to be a good fit for this particular book. So I wasn't in that is. That is amazing. And that is so important. Having your work stand, stand in, 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 um, what am I trying to say? Uh, you are your work. Your work speaks for itself. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes. And, uh, having quality work, having completed works, 
goes so far for you. So again, make a thing. thing, So if you're interested, if you're listening and you're interested in making comics, here's what I need. Here's the inside scoop. This is what you need to know. Be reliable. Deadlines, Mm. every DC and Marvel churn out books. They, They provide a product on a schedule and their entire, my editor's responsibility is to make the best books that they can on time. And so if you are an artist that can deliver your book on time, I think, in my opinion, that is the most valuable quality you can have as an artist. We live in a time when there aren't really house styles anymore, right? Like, I don't have to draw like Kirby in order to work at Marvel. I can draw like me. You know, we there's there's room in, in the comics universe for many, many different styles. And so that no longer becomes a blockade to success. Uh, and so what is still a blockade is we artists are notoriously fickle and maybe late about things or moody or, you know, like we have maybe a hard time finishing things. So my advice to you is do the best you can with the time that you have, like deliver things on a deadline. Um, I work very hard to be reliable and to deliver things when I say I will and to the best of my ability. And I always want more time. There's always a panel or a page or a sequence where I just, if I only had another day, you know, that leg, that foot, that expression, that, you know, the detail in the background, something would be better. But I didn't have an extra day and there are other people relying on me. You know, like this still has to go to the colorist. This still has to go to the letterer. I'm eating into their time. Uh, if I blow my deadline. And so I try to be very mindful of the fact that I am a cog in the sort of machinery of making comics. Uh, And I do the best I can. And I try not to be precious about it. And I get it out the door. Yes, yes. And um, in are are you working Mm -hmm. on the solo series of the the Silk books? Or... um... So I was working on the solo series. The solo series ended with issue 19. Uh, There were seven issues in the leading up to Secret Wars. Secret Wars? um, When the world exploded. Uh, Was it Secret Invasion? But then it came out again, no? Was it Secret Wars? Um, Yes. And so Marvel did a relaunch. And so there's uh, seven issues that led up to the two worlds colliding, uh, whatever that event was called. I'll probably get it wrong. And then weren't a part of that, but I, I was the, I did I, yes, I did one issue. I did issue seven. That was the first silk issue that I was on. And then I was gotcha. back in Oh, the for, crossover one. Yeah. Uh no, so this is before the crossover one. Oh, I did, okay, okay. Yep. So they launched Silk and then they had uh seven issues. I did the seventh issue and then they relaunched Silk uh for whatever Marvel's secret reasons are. And I did issues two and three and I think five and six and seven and eight some yeah and so like they sort of they gave me two issues and another artist two issues and another artist for a long time okay okay um all right so um are you a comic book reader (laughs) were you or Mm -hmm. are are you now yep i am okay i like so uh big shout out a friend of mine uh, matt rosenberg is writing four kids walk into a bank and it has the best sound effects of any uh of any comic right now it's beautiful and i haven't finished reading it yet i think there are four of five issues out as of right now but you guys should go pick this up it's delightful it's um 
it's sort sound of sound effects. So the written description yes, of the sound. They're they're handwritten awesome. sound effects. So uh, one of the girls follow my Twitter feed. I, I posted a picture about it this morning, and then I just read one right now. Um, the girl hits somebody in the face with a with a pizza, and it says Sabaro. You know, like the pizza place. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. And then later on in this most recent issue I'm reading right now. Uh, they, one of the kids, it's kind of like Stranger Things in that it's a kid gang, um, and the writing is delightful and the art is beautiful. Uh, there's a kid that talks really quietly. And so you're sort of squinting to see his word balloons because his words are smaller than everyone else's. And it goes a long way to like his character. Um, it's beautiful. I love it when people use the visual aspect of comic books successfully. Uh, four kids walk into a bank. That's what it's called. And um, they do, there's a chemical explosion there. And the kid is, one of the kids is in like chemistry class. And his, you know, uh, gang member, not gang member, but like his friends and his friend gang come in and interrupt him. And the jerk of the group mixes a bunch of chemicals together and of course it causes a comedic explosion and the explosion is written out in periodic table of elements style so it says boom right but it's like b little o big o little o m with like a two it's really really great so uh, i love it when you have these sort of clever ways of using sound effects and this this book is is killing it so very so I love, clever. So I love reading stuff. I love reading comics. I really like the this way of telling stories, uh, the words and the pictures, and I love it when they work together. So, okay, well that that is um, that is something that would only be gained from experience, right? Um, in general, what is your experience? reading comic books seeing mm -hmm. that there is there tends to be a common um a common theme in uh comic books especially with superheroes and super villain villains <laughs> villains <laughs> villains <laughs> this this uh yeah. loneliness that's uh captured in their storylines in the yeah. backstories right yeah um and in different subcultures like ours nerd culture mm -hmm. um that's also uh, experienced by by its members that's yeah. commonly held too so in your opinion is is this a draw for the readers of today especially knowing the that the original audience for comic books was um was military personnel uh yeah. dudes a lot of dudes yeah um fascinating i don't know that I, I i love it when people ask me questions i haven't thought of before right because in queer literature we have um what was it? Radcliffe's The Well of Loneliness, right? Like embedded mm, in yes. queer history, we have isolation, othering, uh, being marginalized, being, you know, like we were forced to major cities uh, in order to create communities. Um, and I, I actually have been wondering about queer communities uh, for, I don't know, for a long time. Duck Third Time is the Charm, which is the graphic novel I'm working on right now. Um, it takes place in Provincetown, Massachusetts. And one of the things I'm endeavoring to do is show queer culture, queer community, what it's like to occupy a space that is queered. Um, it takes place over Memorial Day weekend in Provincetown, Massachusetts, which is uh, when lesbians from all over, you know, New England descend on P-Town for this like party weekend. Um, and so unpacking this idea of loneliness 
And do you think the opposite of loneliness is community? Do you think the opposite of loneliness is like love and understanding? And why do we feel outside of that? Mm. And then Mm. it does map very well onto villainy, right? A feeling maligned or feeling like no one understands you or, you know, that or want certain villains, I suppose, could be seen in that light. That's such an interesting question. Well, it's, it's all connected. It's all connected. um, Yeah. Relating to, to these stories, these characters over decades, people grow up with these stories. Yeah. I, so we, villains are fascinating. I think that getting um, this sort of nuanced gray area stories that we get today uh, is, um, I think wonderful. Um, I I tend to like the gray areas. Uh, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. If you guys are interested, um, you can check out my drinking podcast. I make a themed cocktail and talk about mostly the books. But when the show is on, we also talk about the books or rather the show. Um, And it's called Westeros Whateverly. You can Google it and find us. Uh, But I love the gray characters in that, right? Like you start out hating Jamie Lannister. And by the end, you're sort of really pulling for him uh, and his redemption arc. Uh, so I like it when characters aren't black and white, good or evil, uh, you know. Um, and so right, right. the best... I can com- even, I, sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm so Please. sorry to cut you off, but even Cersei, she mm-hmm. has some parts and I'm like, yeah. oh. But yeah. go on, sorry. And so you end up feeling for these, you know, villainous characters because a lot of the times you know they can be these good people that do bad things or they can be bad people that occasionally do good things like it just I like that conflict um and I think that exploring it um the demons of human nature what what is hopeful about humanity what is the best of us and the worst of us lends itself really well to superhero comics in general Right? Like you can be bad, but you can be super villain bad. And you can be good and you can be superhero good. And the stories that we get today are often exploring the nebulous area of gray in there. You know, when you try, when Tony Stark tries to save the world, but, you know, he's arresting people for crimes they haven't committed yet. Right? Like you've got this. Uh, philosophical gray area about what is good and what is evil and how better to, I don't know, unpack and explore that than through this superhuman, uh, amazing powered lens. That's a great question. Well, thank you for for, uh, exploring (laughs) that with me. (laughs) Appreciate it. Um, So what was it like to hand off your first duck series for the first time? Uh, terrifying. I um, yeah, I bet when when you completed it, you knew it was complete, and it was yep. time to get it out into the world. Yeah, I had had my eye on um, on different grants or different prizes or different places I could send it. Right, I didn't know anything when I started, and I learned while I was making it. Uh, Duck is about. Uh, two best friends, uh, Duck and Katrin, and they, in the first book, take a road trip together. Uh, I had wanted to write about lesbian culture in Boston, and I didn't know how to do it yet. And so writing a story wasn't something I was able to do. I didn't know how to do it. I'd never really done it before. And uh, I decided to just send them on a road trip, right? Like that's a built-in story. Uh, Kerouac did it. Like if if that guy can do it, I could do it, you know? So I just sent them on a road trip and let their personalities drive the narrative. Um, 
you know, they the 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 plot is that they're saving Duck's little brother from jail in New Mexico. Um, but that that's sort of like the just the reason to get them going and get them hanging out. Uh, and once it was done, I had no idea what to do with it, where I was going with it. And Prism Comics is a queer organization. You should donate to it if you are in a financial position where you can donate to worthy causes. Um, and they give grants to artists um, and story makers. And I put my book in the running and I won. And it was, I cannot describe adequately how gratifying and validating that was. And I had flown myself out to San Francisco. I saved up my pennies and flew out to my very first convention, which was Ape Comic-Con, Alternative Press Expo, where they were announcing the winners. And I was sitting in the audience. No one had contacted me ahead of time. I hadn't heard anything back. I just knew that they were going to announce the winners during this panel. So I went to what was my first panel, I think, that I had ever gone to. And I'm sitting in the audience and they announce my name. And they just sort of glaze over it, right? Like they were just like, oh, and the winner is Tana Ford. And I was like, oh my God, that's me. And I like rise out of the crowd. And and the people that were up on stage have become very dear friends now. Uh, it's a very small world of queer comic book making. Um, and so they they were wonderful. They were like, it was like the Oscars. You were rising out of the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so it, so for me I made a thing and I found a way to get it out into the world that you know then I followed up on like I went to where they were announcing it and and I was able to meet some fantastic people people that are still you know my friends today and my colleagues and I've collaborated with them on other projects and and so I had to sort of create a a place in the world for my art and for my community and sort of create a community uh, by going out into the world and, and trying to do that. So I would say find find your find your lane, find a way to get whatever you make out into the world. Um, if if I hadn't won, I would have probably published it online, you know, a page a day or something. Like the book was done, so I could have then done a a page a day as a web comic or something like that and found another way uh, in. But it was um, that's how I began. And being recognized by other entities too, like the Lambda Literary Award. Yeah, how crazy is that? How crazy Amazing. Is that? Uh, Congratulations on that. I mean, <laughs> thank you. That's, I'm sure there are more awards to come. <laughs> thank um, you so much. I didn't oh, win, just to be clear. I didn't win. Oh, no, no, no. But I was a finalist. finalist. But like my book, that's still recognition. Yes, it was the first time that they had ever had uh, a graphic novel category of the Lambda Literary Awards. And I was up against the Fifth Beetle. Right. Which is gorgeous. If you guys haven't seen this, um, uh, Andrew Robinson did the art and it's breathtakingly gorgeous. Um, but the book that won was uh, a Houghton Mifflin book. It was a it was a paging Dr. Laura or calling Dr. Laura, something like this. Very watercolor, kind of a somber um, real life story. But it's a Houghton Mifflin book. Right. Like I made this thing in a garage, literally. <laughs> <laughs> So I was punching way above my weight class. Uh, so yeah, it was incredibly gratifying and sort of a, a nice reality check. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And what's another gratifying thing is you're going to read some awesome poetry for us. Can you tell <laughs> us a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, I love poetry. This is not something that I've written. This is going to be something that Mary Oliver has written. Um, 
and she's wonderful. Everything she does is wonderful. Um, and she's a lesbian. She lives in Provincetown, Massachusetts. And this one is called Percy Six. Uh, it's about her dog, whose name is Percy. And just, I'm going to try not to cry when I read it, but my dog, Bailey, uh, who I had for almost 13 years, passed away two months ago. And uh, oh my. so, dog poetry. All okay. right. <clears throat> Percy Six. You're like a little wild thing that was never sent to school. Sit, I say, and you jump up. Come, I say, and you go galloping down the sand to the nearest dead fish with which you perfume your sweet neck. It is summer. How many summers does a little dog have? Run, Percy, run. This is our school. Oh, I'm snapping over here too. (laughs) Snapping over here too. Oh, it's so. Is is that your fan club in the back? Yeah, that's right. That's just me. (laughs) Ah, okay. Yeah, I was doing this whole podcast from a coffee shop, a beatnik coffee shop. Oh, right on, right on. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Oh well, Tana Ford, thank you so much for your.